Welcome to episode 100 here of the Insider's Edge podcast. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California, Fury. You've heard it nearly 100 times because this is episode 100 and I'm recording this on the day of the release of episode 100. That's why I'm inside right now. It's summertime, baby, here in Australia, so it's a little bit fucking hot outside. So I'm inside here in the air conditioning and... We do have an exclusive interview with the one and only Double J, Jeff Jarrett, motherfucker. And that's coming up very, very soon. But I need to fill a little bit of time here on episode 100. I need to give some thank yous and I need to tell a little bit of a story. And I guess, look, if you're not interested in hearing from me, then that's totally cool. Look in the description. We'll have a, a, a timestamp that you can click on to just to go straight to the Jeff Jarrett interview. If, if you're just like, fuck this dude, I don't want to fucking hear what California has to say. And that's totally fine if you feel that way. But I wanted to kind of take the time here on episode 100 to tell a little bit of the story of how I became to be in the position that I'm in right here, right now with the WCWA Network. And having this fantastic podcast that has meant so much to me. Um, I'd always wanted to do stuff like this, you know. It, 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 was, it was put into my mind uh, quite a while ago when I would see certain people out there getting interviewed by people that claim to be podcasters or interviewers. And, um, you know, when you're watching an interview... And somebody's somebody you really want to find out the the ins and outs of of what what whatever the subject is, whoever the person is on a particular episode, you want to find out the the ins and outs of everything that they've done. And the guy who's interviewing them is asking them questions. And as time's wearing on, you're thinking, yes, oh, this is a perfect subject. You've got to branch off into this. And then they don't go there. And then they continue on with their line of questioning and you miss out on that little piece of information, that minutia you're looking for in an interview. And, and instead you're getting the same old shit, being, people being asked the same old fucking questions over and over and over again. I used to do my head in and I always used to think to myself, man, I wish I could be in this field. I wish I could be the one interviewing some of these people because I feel like I'd do better research. I feel like I'd ask more questions that they don't usually get asked. Uh, so that was something that was really important to me, was kind of showing up a lot of those, I guess, fraudulent podcasters out there that seem to have either a big name or not a big name at all. But I wanted to show that, you know, I could do this and I could keep up with the best of them. Um, but I never really knew how to get into it. And uh, it wasn't until I, I'd been watching WCW. It was, you know, some reruns of the old WCW Worldwide uh, where it would have Scott Hudson, Bobby the Brain Heenan on the show, and they would recap that week's Nitro or Thunder, and then there would be a few, like, original matches taped on WCW Saturday Night, etc., etc., to end the episode. Anyway, long story short, I had a few questions for Scott because I just wanted to know what his kind of like day-to-day -day duties were like at WCW, what his life was like, just the most boring things, that minutiae, the most boring things, like what time do you get to the office? What did you do for lunch? Where did you go? Stupid shit like that. So anyway, I asked him a couple of questions. It ended up leading to me being like, Scott, how about I just give you a call on Skype sometime? So Scott's like, yeah, Carl, sure, you know, uh, anytime. So, so, you know, we line up a time, me and Scott Hudson, we talk on Skype for nearly four hours. And I ask him everything I could possibly think of. And and right at the end, Scott said, you know, you know what, Carl, I think you, 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 got, you got quite the knowledge there on professional wrestling. You know, I really do think that you could do a good job at uh, – at uh, hosting a podcast, you just got to find a, a niche that works for you because there's a million of them out there. Uh, and Scott was completely on, on, on the money with that. And I'd always thought about a podcast about 
the unsung heroes of pro wrestling. Yes, every now and then you'd interview some of those more well-known main event kind of guys, but guys who don't usually get that interview, that in-depth career interview. So if someone's watching the WWE Network and they see Big Sal E. Graziano from ECW, that big 600-pound guy who was the bodyguard for, for little Guido Maritato, and you want to find out a little bit of information about him and you go to YouTube his name and there's not one interview with him, well, I want to be the guy that gets that interview with him. I want to be the guy that gets the full career interview with Big Sal. And I got that, you know, and there's a whole heap of other guys out there from, you know, Ice Train to Lash LaRue to, you know, all those different guys in ECW, you know, beautiful Billy Wiles, Chubby Dudley, a whole heap of people. You know, I could go through all of them, but, you know, I'd be here for quite some time because this is episode 100. Um, but it was important to me to get a lot of these guys and get their full career story, you know, like Frankie Lancaster. What a great interview that was. I made him cry. I made him cry because he appreciated my efforts so much and my kind words. So it's about showing everyone respect. It's about putting everyone up on a pedestal because that's what everyone deserves. And it drives me crazy when people will talk down about somebody like a Barry Horowitz who we had on the show. People will talk about guys based off their win-loss record in wrestling. Who gives a shit? It's not real. It's not real. The, the outcome is not real most of the time. <laughs> so it, it always bugged me that people would judge somebody's career based off the fact that they were, weren't booked to win certain matches. I just think that's ridiculous. So that's what this show was all about in my mind. And the Insider's Edge hadn't even begun yet. But that's what I wanted from this show, the unsung heroes getting put on the pedestal they deserve. But I didn't know how to start it. I didn't know where to go. Was it going to be an audio interview? How do I, how do I get this together? I had no idea. I was just clueless. So anyway, as time wore on, I was invited to be a part of the WZWA Network. And if people out there are still wondering what WZWA Network means, well, WZWA is the Warzone Wrestling Alliance. There's a backyard wrestling group that we're in from 2012 until 2017. Um, you can find us somewhere on YouTube. I'm not going to give you too much of a hint, but you'll be able to find it if you look hard enough. We did back, that backyard wrestling group, but the letters WZWA were going to stick with us, uh, you know, for probably they're going to stick with us for the rest of our lives because it was a really big part of our lives. Anyway, two of the guys started this channel, the WCWA network. It was going to be focused on wrestling video games, playthroughs of, of wrestling video games. Anyway, they'd done a few episodes of, uh, you know, wrestling revolution 3d and some of these other games. And out of the blue, Luke had had a conversation with Virgil of all people and offered Virgil $50 to do an interview. So the two guys that started the WCWA network, Mr. 55 and Luke Monet, set up an interview with Virgil. And that's why you might notice in the playlist, the very first episode of the podcast is one that doesn't have me as one of the hosts. It's a debacle of an interview. Luke has to leave halfway through because his baby is like screaming her head off. Uh, and then it's left down to Mr. 55 and Virgil. And look, let's be honest, Mr. 55 isn't exactly at that point in time qualified to host anything. So a conversation between him and Virgil certainly is not going to be very, uh, I don't think it's, they're going to click very well and it's not going to be a very uh, engaging conversation. Um, so look, it was a bit of a debacle, but episode two came around. They had organized an interview with the Godfather. Luke bowed out because he knew that he's just, he had a very young family and it would be just too difficult for him to even get away for just an hour to talk to somebody, do this interview. So they invited me to be a part of the show. They knew that I'd have experience with a previous podcast that I had done, an audio podcast based on a completely different subject. Um, but they put me on as a co-host and, and the idea was that I would help Mr. 55 get better and so that he can one day just 
host the podcast by himself. But I guess long story short, as time wore on, I was doing more of the legwork. I was uh, doing all the research. I was hosting most of the episodes. And then it got to a point where I was uh, doing the interviews by myself, most of them by myself. And it just got to a point where I was like, well, I don't, I don't really need a co-host anymore. I'm pretty good at doing this by myself now, more comfortable by myself. And, you know, um, it's been just a fucking wonderful experience, I'll be honest with you, um, to be able to sit there and have conversations with people that I've been watching over the course of my life and being a fan of and be able to have a laugh with them and make them laugh and, you know, sometimes even flirt with them like Trinity or Goldilocks or whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, th this, is, uh, this has been a great part of my life and, um, you know, I couldn't thank everyone out there enough. And I guess I'm going to get to the tail end of this right now. I don't want to be here talking all day because you guys want to see the interview with Jeff Jarrett. But I've got some thank yous to throw out there. Got to thank Mr. 55. I've got to thank my producer, Luke. I've got to thank my co-host on the reviews and sometimes on the Insider's Edge Juicy Boy, Daniel Johnston. I've got to thank Sean Oliver from Kayfabe Commentaries for inspiring me. Uh, Scott Hudson, former WCW commentator, for believing in me and giving words of encouragement. Um, I have to thank Mean Mike Moran from Disorderly Conduct and the Texas Hangman for being a friend and someone that I do consider a very close friend now and um, we speak nearly every single day. Uh, so I want to thank you, bro, for supporting me. I want to thank Alan Funk for helping me out at times. I want to thank Bay Ragney, a.k.a. Chubby Dudley, for being a friend. Um, also, I want to thank ring announcer Bob Artis for being so kind and also being a friend to me as well. Uh, I want to thank Lodi for making my first solo interview so easy. It was the first time I was left high and dry by myself. So um, I want to thank Lodi for that. Uh, I'd like to thank Mark from Ring of Honor uh, for his help uh, in gaining uh, interviews over the last couple of years. Um, I'd like to thank Piers Austin from the MWA Podcast Network over east here in Australia for the advice and for being there for me when, uh, you know, I was a little stressed out with things here at the network. Um, so thank you, Piers. Um, and I've got to thank the fans, bro. I've got to thank the fans and the people that have supported us the most. I've got to thank Kevin Curran. I've got to thank Scottish Danny, bro. I know I was going to get you on this show, but time is just ticking by too quickly. Thank you so much for your support since day one, man. Really appreciate it. Salvatore M, uh, I've got to thank you, bro, for your support. Adam Blast, uh, you know, really appreciate your support too, man. And, and I'm so glad that I found someone else out there that love really obscure uh, WCW lower mid-card guys or job guys, uh, guys that were solely on Saturday Night Worldwide. It, it's, it's, it's nice to meet someone else who uh, understands where I'm coming from. I'd like to thank Not K uh, and hashtag wrestling on IRC on the Ryzen network for their support. Everyone in that chat room, really appreciate it. Um, Sexton Hardcastle, thank you. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce this Dalwoff. Uh, you comment on almost every video we have. Want to thank you for your support and watching a lot of our content. We really appreciate it. Um, Haji Bashir uh, Nurzai. Hope I pronounced that properly. Thank you for your kind words recently. Uh, Simran Dani, thank you for your comment recently on the Tiger Ali Singh video. That meant a lot to me. Got to thank Hannah for uh, her support on Twitch. Mr. Hagsley, of course, uh, our new member of the Four Horsemen here in the WCWA Network. Best Year AU, Local Boy, Dark Elite Eric, Imo Creation, Heckles, Drunk Ninja Mast 420. <laughs> uh, thanks to all the jugglos out there as well. Reefsulmania, Blade JST, It's Fluffy Luke, Scogletto, and of course, the, <laughs> the big bad booty zombie stat daddy. <laughs> For all of your support, everyone, everyone that has been in our uh, in our Discord that has followed us on Twitch, that has, you know, been uh, supportive of the Insider's Edge podcast and the WCWA network here on YouTube. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
This is episode 100. I ain't going to be doing any solo shit like this ever again. I just wanted to tell a little bit of story, fill a bit of time before we celebrate here. Episode 100 on the Insider's Edge podcast, my exclusive interview with the one and the only Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 100 here of the Insider's Edge podcast. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Ferry. What a joy to be with you all once again. And I'm sending a call right out there to Slapnut Nation. That's right, right here, right now. It is my distinct honor here for episode 100 to introduce to you all. That's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T, but I'll also throw in L-E-G-E-N-D. He is the legendary one and only Jeff Jarrett. How are you, my friend? All right, my friend. What a buildup. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Uh, we've had a, a couple of, uh, maybe your listeners know, maybe they don't know, but we've had a couple of... Uh, Stutter starts, but that's okay. We're, we finally arrived here today and looking forward to chatting. Um, all things uh, Jeff Jarrett career, I guess you could say, and uh, anything else you got on your mind. And again, uh, tip of the hat to the shirt. Uh, where'd you get the shirt? I, by, if, if you don't mind me asking. I found it on eBay, thankfully. It's taken there a while, go. but I finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> Good old eBay. Never let you down. Absolutely, Jeff. And uh, Jeff, uh, I'm starting things off. I'm going to be jumping all over the place here, but I want to start at the end here. Uh, I want to talk about the 13th of April, 2019. Dr. Wagner Jr. defeated you at SoCal Pro Wrestling in Vista, California. This is in my research as the last performance match that you've had at this point. Has Jeff Jarrett had his, his final match in professional wrestling? Uh, you know, never say never. I, I don't believe so. I've, I've uh, witnessed many folks over the years. Uh, I'll have say have their retirement matches and that never works out. But uh, it was funny that um, when I went back uh, full time for the WWE, uh, I had a, a number of bookings. Uh, I was actually talking about coming down under, but I had uh, several bookings uh, in the United Kingdom and then across the States and Canada and um just as I went back and, and ended up going from a Royal Rubble appearance to stick around a little bit to the next thing you know, uh, I'm back full-time on the road five or six days a week. Um, ironically, it's funny that that was my last book, you know, the last time I wrestled uh, to date. But no, yeah, I don't think you've seen the last. Again, I have no idea that right now, do I have plans? No, but I never say, yes, I'm officially retired. I just don't think that's productive because, uh, I don't want to eat my words. I've, I've done that enough in my career, but no, uh, but no, I, I don't believe I've seen the last, uh, of the, the time I step into the ring. Excellent to hear. Happy to hear that. You mentioned the rumble and I wanted to bring this up on the 27th of January, 2019. I was with my friends watching the rumble and usually I always joke about, oh, the next person's going to be so-and-so not thinking that that person's actually going to come out. I might be like, you know, I reckon the next person coming out is Disco Inferno or, or Horace Hogan or someone just random. And I picked your name out of the hat this time. And lo and behold, the next person that actually did come out was Jeff Jarrett. And everyone was like, how did you know that? I'm like, oh, no, I, I didn't know. I had no idea, but like, I got it right. It was a random moment that I wanted to tell you about your old music hit. Um, how did you feel after 19 years, three months and 12 days away from your previous appearance of the company to go out there and have this moment? It was uh, kind of surreal, you know, just getting the call and being the surprise and then getting into Phoenix that day, um, you know, keeping the surprises, uh, a surprise, which I'm always, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of excitement that goes into our industry when, when things happen that you're, it caught you off guard. It caught your friends off guard. I, I think there's a lot of upside to that. Um, but you know, as it went down and, and Elias, um, being in the ring and, and his persona and everything around it, it just fit really natural. Um, 
in so many different ways. Uh, I think uh, I think the world of Elias and his talent. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think the timing was um, was really good, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it was a really special moment for me because when I first got into wrestling, it was 1998 and you were quite prominent within the company at the time. So all those cherished memories and you're a part of them. Um, jumping again all over the place. I'm taking this to Baltimore, Maryland, December 20th, 1999. Bret Hart faces Goldberg in the main event for the world championship. This leads to the formation of NWO 2000, the silver and black attack with Bret Nash Hall and yourself and soon to join Scott Steiner. I know the actual segment was messed up because Billy Silverman counted a three count when Piper was on top of Goldberg and not when Bret was. Um, but what did you think of this and, and being in the new NWO and did you think it had potential to work had not a bunch of the guys got injured or in Scott Steiner's case suspended you know uh, when that came together and obviously it was a, a a distant generation of of the one that took place in 96 with Hogan Hall and Nash but having Hall and Nash as a part of this group um I thought there was a lot of upside also with Brett uh, and, and, you know, you can look at it a lot of different ways in that the four of us were all at the WWF at the same time. So here, here it was in 2000, I forgot about the Billy Silverman and that whole, uh, mess up, or was it a mess up or, or what, who was confused? Who wasn't confused? Uh, but, but you know, again, I've, I've covered this on my world, um, as you see my shirt here. Yeah. I've covered this on the podcast with Conrad and we've had a lot of fun with it, but on a serious note, you know, the original group, whether it's the four horsemen, whether it's, um, the NWO, whether it's the bullet club, whether whatever faction it may be, um, the, the original group is always, um, the best it, it, it's, it's what comes out. So following the original group, uh, was tough, but having the upside to all of it, uh, and, and the players in it that, you know, later Steiner and you referenced him, I think there was a lot of potential injuries, uh, didn't, didn't work, you know, were, were obviously the, the downfall, uh, uh, in the short term for that, for that crew. But, you know, uh, we just referenced this on my world as again, that, you know, uh, I was double J Jeff Jarrett and they brought road dog back, you know, a couple of years later as the real double J. And, you know, although the storyline with the song and everything, I think it put him in a position of, of, okay, the real double J wait, no, that's Jeff Jarrett. He came into the vignettes. It, it creates a little confusion, uh, in the character. Uh, but no, it, it's in this industry, it's really hard to come up something that's completely original. Uh, but, but for lack of a better word, uh, you have to get up to the plate and try and, uh, try to do iterations and variations of different deals, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember the night in Baltimore that we all thought that, um, it was a good shift and it had a lot of potential. Absolutely. And, uh, I, this was an interesting part of WCW that I wanted to bring up because, um, it was represented by yourself and the Harris brothers at one stage when Hall was gone, uh, Nash was injured. Brett had unfortunately had that bad concussion. Scott was suspended. Uh, Vince Russo had gone home. Kevin Sullivan takes over the book. Um, but during this time, yourself and Sid are kind of leading the way on TV as the, the who the show is, uh, I guess, um, uh, mostly about. And uh, it must have been a nice feeling this early into your run in WCW to kind of be the uh, kind of focal figure of the show uh, for at least uh, two or three months there during this uh, Kevin Sullivan time. Um you know, uh, how are you feeling during this time um, leading up the way towards before uh, Bischoff and uh, Russo came back together? It was a challenge uh, because you just sort of laid that out, Gary, that, that um, with with different folks having, there was a lot of turmoil, obviously, backstage, but a lot of folks having creative control, people in on the executive side, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. Um, and you know, I, I have said it then and I, uh, I said it to this day and all points in between during that time, my job was to, uh, arrive at the arena and do the very best that I could do with what was given me. Because at the end of the day, 
there were, whether it was 500 fans, 5,000 fans or 15,000 fans, whatever it is that came through the door, they came to see a show and wanted to be entertained. They didn't come knowing any baggage. They didn't come knowing any, like the, the, all the discord and everything backstage. So I did everything in my power to go out and, um, whether it's bust my ass in the match or the promo or whatever it may be, but give an effort. And, and, and I, I believe that uh, that's carried me well through that. My career is, uh, give the fans everything you got, because at the end of the day, um, they pay the bills. They're what makes the world go around in our industry. So give the fans the very best you got and let everything else take care of itself. Excellent. Excellent to hear. Um, okay. Again, jumping around again, I want to talk a little bit about Randy Savage and turning point 2004. And if I'm asking you things that you've already covered on, on, on my world, that's okay. Just give us a little taste and then we can send people toward the, the, uh, the, the podcast if I actually haven't heard those full stories um but it was yourself nash and hall against savage styles and hardy uh randy only came in at the end of the match for the roll-up pin in that six-man tag and the following month you were supposed to headline with him for the world title and he didn't do the match uh can you uh tell us a little bit about that situation and what went on there with randy because i remember me and my friends bought that pay-per-view to see that six-man tag and we were a little disappointed that he just came out right at the end there you know randy at that time now it's it's you know hindsight the old proverbial saying is 2020 didn't really completely have our head around i don't think even randy maybe but it was at the twilight of his career uh, he had absolutely, you know, um, probably made up his mind that he was essentially done with his in-ring career. Uh, but, uh, his old, uh, one of his first promoters, ironically, my father, you know, I think tugged on some heartstrings and some motion strings. And, and then he knew that putting in a six man tag, that there was a possibility that, you know, he could make it work. So he said yes to the match. Again, we cover this in detail on my world. Uh, but, um, it was cool to, for, for it to be a part of it. But, uh, Randy for sure was at the twilight of his career, uh, and, and wasn't engaged in, in, in the in-ring, you know, he had his rap career going on. He had his acting career, Spider-Man. He had so many different things going on. Uh, his in-ring career was far from a priority and rightly so. I understand. I understand. Uh, and for anyone out there who ever disparages Randy Savage's rap album, I'm sorry. It is a treasure. I love that album. I don't care what anyone says about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, some WWF talk next. The 30th of August, 98 in New York, you lost a hair match to your good friend, X-Pac. Uh, was it hard to say goodbye to your, your beautiful blonde locks? Um, or, and was it an idea to reinvent your look with the, the changing gear and tights and all that to fit the attitude era? No, it was not hard at all. Um, <laughs> it, you know, we actually did an entire episode on that this SummerSlam and working with X-Pac and the buildup with Howard Finkel and the behind the stories that getting into this, but just how it all played out. And, you know, I was, I was, I was ready because I knew that the double J character uh, that had, that are, you know, arrived in the WWF in 1993. I knew there needed to be a transition. Couldn't do a transition until the boss was ready. I was, uh, ready for that transition months, if not a year beforehand. So, um, it happened. Uh, I, I, I knew that, that there was a, a vibe and a feel that I wanted to go with and that, that, uh, the powers that be at WWF at the time were, were on board. And so it was, uh, you know, getting to have a, hair versus hair match in Madison Square Garden. Um, can't say that it was on my bucket list, but looking back, uh, it, it's certainly a really cool moment. Uh, and, you know, me and Xbox, uh, we go way, way back. And we always, um, I don't say we enjoyed kicking the hell out of each other, but we, we always were very aggressive in our matches. Uh, we felt it, but, but also it was uh, uh, a really good working relationship. Awesome, awesome. And it must have felt good to have the hair cut short and I have to keep brushing out the knots because I used to have hair down to here. I've shaved my head since last October. So I know the feeling. I know what it's like to have to brush those knots out every day. So that must have felt good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, some of those days in the WWF. 
Um, things seemed a lot looser creatively uh, from just what I've, uh, I guess, learned from um, all the years of, of watching interviews and all that. Um, how did you like working with Vince and Ed? Uh, did you find them to be approachable when it came to your angles and, and even just the verbiage in your promos, having freedom to, to, to do what you want to do with your own character? You know, and a lot of, yeah, they were very approachable and very uh, collaborative, but at the end of the day, they were, for the most part, um, a lot of times on getting anything verbiage or what they, they were, they were the messenger. Uh, so at the end of the day, um, everyone knows who, who the bus, the boss is and, and that the buck stops with, with one man. And so, you know, they, um, Vince and Ed always were collaborative, uh, but also knew, uh, and, and, and everyone else did as well, that they, that they weren't the ultimate decision maker. They obviously had influence, but at the end of the day, uh, it was, uh, the, like I said, the buck stopped with one man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, April, 2000, the Russo Bischoff duo, uh, team reboot in, uh, WCW, uh, that first night show was very chaotic. Uh, but a very interesting atmosphere um, to see WCW head into. Uh, how were you feeling at the time? And could you see as the weeks rolled on, like from your perspective, Eric and Vince, and, and how it became kind of like oil and water? And so what was the question? Um, could, like, how were you feeling uh, at the time with the company? And could you see from your perspective that things with Eric and Vince weren't working out? No, you know, I, I, I didn't have any idea. Uh, in the early days that, that it was a struggle. Um, again, I'll go back and I've, I've, I've covered this in so many different shape, forms or fashion in that uh, WCW was a corporate environment. And yes, uh, Eric and, and, and Vince, um, I guess, were, were asked or told to work together. Uh, but it's just very difficult, not just for them, anyone in a scenario uh, that is a, a creative area, which is subjective. It's not like you can take it, an exact science because there's a lot of right ways. So a lot of, uh, great ideas, but there's also some wrong ways, which means bad ideas. Uh, but when you put two strong personalities together that, that technically one wasn't over the other, it's just a very, very difficult situation. Again, it's it, it when you when you roll it all downhill or all uphill, it's the corporate mentality or, or the corporate environment, maybe better said. Uh, so made it very difficult for, for all involved. Um, but you know, that night in Denver, uh, everybody came with a lot of uh, renewed hope and enthusiasm. And hey, let's see where this goes. Let, let's see where this goes. Because by that time, um, you know, it was well understood that the nose needed to be pulled up. Um, the WWF, you know, and the, I'll call it the attitude and the Austin and rock and that, 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 that whole system was gelling in so many different ways. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it was a challenge for all parties involved, but again, looking back on that era, um, it's funny how the narrative continues that all oh, everything was bad. That's just not accurate. Uh, but there was more bad than good. And so that's the narrative. Yeah. And uh, I look back and I, I've been watching some 2000 W stuff here and it's some quite endurable uh, television as far as I'm concerned. So I think a lot of people uh, kind of believe a certain narrative coming from a certain place. And I just think, it's a bit silly. I think W7 2000 was fantastic stuff. Uh, um, so back back to some Attitude Era stuff, Jeff. I, I thought that the dynamic between yourself and Deborah was a really interesting one. Um, and you know what? Everyone goes on about some of your older theme songs, but that Jim Johnston guitar riff, when that would hit, that that is an absolute banger. And the crowd would the crowd would rise for it because they knew Deborah was coming out. And they would cheer. This is what the great dynamic was. They would cheer because they knew Deborah was there, but then they also knew Jeff Jarrett was there. And Jeff Jarrett was a dastardly bastard, wasn't he? And uh, so it, it would slowly start to change from being to hate for you, especially when you get on your on the microphone and tell everyone that they're not going to be seeing any puppies tonight. Uh, <laughs> was it? Was it? How was that dynamic for you, having a very popular manager with you, but Jeff Jarrett was, you know, a straight up heel. And that is something with the yin and the yang of it that 
you know, when we're we're about to cover the uh, Deborah, uh, uh, you know, um, character, if you will, uh, that was was a part of my career uh, several different times. In that, you know, the storyline um, was never, you know, she was married to Mongo, and we covered the Four Horsemen, but but you know, they were a husband and wife team, but there was never uh, that that was never the forefront. Same with Deborah as my manager. It, it was never a love interest storyline. It was it was like a, a business relationship in in that um, I was there to win matches. She was there to do what she could do to help me win matches. So that undercurrent of everything is is a lot of the foundation that I believe um, brought the charisma to the table. In that again timing's everything so the attitude era and road dog naming the puppies and and just that whole stick we'll call it that went around it but um the the mindset that i'm going in to win my matches and i'm gonna not let the people see the puppies but i'm gonna let those puppies help me win matches that's heat that, that was really a descriptor uh, of heat uh in that and that's sort of what made it work uh, that, that, and then when you put her with me and Owen, there was never, usually when you see something like, you know, that, that type of pairing that there's some type of, I'll call it distrust or, uh, lying or thieving amongst the heels. It, it was never, we, we were all straight business. And I think it gave a different play, um, to, to the package. And, and, and I think, you know, as people look back on it and you just referenced it, the music would hit, the people would come to their feet. They knew they were about to see something. And then, you know, here comes, uh, the heel persona of Jeff Jarrett, uh, which still resonates to this day with a lot of like, I hated that guy back then. Why do I want to listen to this podcast? No, it's a lot of fun. Uh, that, that time frame was, uh, uh, a unique one for sure. Absolutely. Um, and this is, a. Uh... This is a question that I've always I've been hoping to ask you for a long time. Uh, you have a very rare respective, respective, rare perspective on things in the 90s. You were in the WWF from 92 to 96. You left for WCW during the height of the NWO. You joined the Horsemen. You win the US title. Then you leave and go back to the WWF as the tide was slowly turning back in their favor. And then you end up going back to WCW in October of 1999. What what a plethora of of perspectives to be able to have in the most important era of wrestling television that there ever was. Uh, every time you went back and forth, did you see the differences in the companies at the time, and, and did you see the differences change between each time that you jump ship? You know, guard. There, it's funny. There's a a stat, I can't recall it, but somebody just brought it to light uh, that, you know, once we'll call it I appeared on Monday Night Raw and you just said that time frame, but then 96, I was on Nitro every week and then going back to Raw and just, you know, and then from Raw for two years and then back to WCW and that run, you know, until the company was bought 18 months later or whatever it may be. So a lot of exposure and, and a lot of Look, I guess you could say the the writer put. I think he said something to the effect: Jarrett got to look through the Attitude Era through a lens like no other. Uh, just just because I, I it wasn't going from one company to another. It was I bounced back and forth multiple times. So you know, and I've said this so many times uh, long before we launched my world, uh, which I'm tickled to death with that we did. Is that it was a very simple viewpoint for me in that, again, I was raised in this industry my grandmother promoted, my father promoted. Um, I was aware of the other territories around the, the, the country and working in Japan and, and, and working in Puerto Rico in that at the WWF, and I just referenced it earlier, the buck stopped with one person at WCW. It was corporate. That just wasn't accurate that, you know, yes, Eric Bischoff was, what was, was the boss. And a damn good one, and and the leadership that that you know that that he took that heights and the damn paper, uh, the damn podcast is named eighty three weeks. Uh, but that being said, he had individuals on his roster that had creative control uh, that contractually they could do what they wanted to do. Uh, and then you pivot from that to Kevin Sullivan to Vince Russo and who's in and who's out and Eric's in and he's out. So it's just that's a, you know it's a completely 
different environment. The two organizations, um, you know, the way they were run wasn't even in the same ballpark. And I was well aware of that. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. I love it. Um, another question I had uh, before we get towards the tail end here of the interview here, Jeff. Um, TNA, that was your baby. You know, the, the, you and your dad, you started that together. Uh, and I just wanted to know, what's it like having something that was your baby, right? And this is your thing and you created it. And then there's a point in time where you're no longer involved in it and you go and do other things in your life. But that thing that you created, that's your baby, is still around. It's called Impact Wrestling and it's still going today. How does that make you feel? I don't know. I just thought that I just thought of it today. I just thought it might be interesting to know how does it make you feel to know that the thing that's your baby, it's it's all grown up now. It's still doing things, but even though it's grown up now, it's it's not on the same level as it was when you were flying high in the you know 2010 uh, time. So how how does it feel? It is surreal at times, and it's a good question. It's a lot of discussion, and we've discussed that. Uh, me and Conrad discussed that not only on the podcast, but off the podcast, just because, you know, next June will be the 20th anniversary. That's hard for me to believe that 20 years. And when you look at, you know, WCW didn't, wasn't around that long. Uh, you know, so unfortunate ring of honor. We don't know what that situation is going to take, you know, but, but they, they started about the same time uh, as TNA did. Um, you know, and so they've gone through transitions, you know, the Sinclair transition from the old days. Um, but it, it's, it's pretty cool to see it still around. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, the formation of TNA and, and I, I like to say from about 2000, um, you know, obviously 2002, but 2001, uh, the, toward the end of that 2002, when we just had the idea and the concept and I started putting the pieces of the puzzle together up till about 2009, 2010, um, were, were to me the, 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 you know, the, they were certainly the most profitable, but, but it was, it was a really cool vibe. And, and then 2010, 11, 12, until I resigned in 13, those were some transition years. I really dug into the international scene and I'm very grateful that I got to learn as much as I did back then, because it's, you know, it's carrying forward into, into these days and, and just the different, the, from the licensing to marketing, all kinds of areas that I touched in. Rinka King, which was produced uh, not far from you, uh, right across the sea <laughs> uh, from Perth, but uh, in India, that that I would have never had that opportunity had it not been for those transition years. But um, I'm I'm it, it, the the short answer is I'm, I'm elated that they're still around. It's it's uh, that library, a tremendous value, and you you look at where it started and and all the years and all the different scenarios. And again, hats off, they're going to be celebrating next June their twentieth anniversary, which I think is very cool. Absolutely, Jeff. It is really cool. And I'm really uh, glad to have been able to hear your perspective on that. Um, so, Jeff, just to finish off this interview, I do have this short segment. It's called Five Second Frenzy. Uh, it's quick fire questions for quick fire answers. So it's just your favorite this, your favorite that. Uh, it should be too difficult, but I thought, um, you know, we do it on every show. It's just to get to know you a bit more. And it's not just all about wrestling. Uh, I can pick first, anything call it if you just give me time no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> okay jeff five second frenzy who would you say is your favorite wrestler of all time jackie fargo jerry lawler they're at the top very nice do you oh, have yeah, a particular so, so i'll keep it short yeah <laughs> not a problem uh would you say who would your favorite opponent is who would you say that is Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Scott Hall. They're up there at the top. Fantastic choices. Uh, I know this is a difficult one, but would you have a favorite match that you've ever participated in? That's, it'd be probably, and there's some hidden gems. We just uncovered one that I had with Dean Malenko. Uh, there's a match that I had with Chris Jericho. There's a match I had with uh, Eddie Guerrero. There's a couple of those, but but Sean, Kurt, those are up there at the very top. Very nice. Now, finally getting away from wrestling, Jeff. Favorite book? Oh, my gosh. I'm currently reading Winning uh, by Grover, uh, Lester Tim Grover. Um, 
he, he's Michael Jordan's trainer, but, uh, you know, I'm a big Jim Collins fan on his series of books and so much research went into that. Um, gosh, there's a lot of books. There's a book out on habits that, um, I'm going to draw a blank that I read about six months ago that how our brain works. It's a little into marketing, um, marketing I have over there, story brand by Donald Miller. I, I could, I could go on and on about that uh, as far as favorite books. Excellent. Uh, favorite TV show. Oh my gosh. Well, currently I'm a succession watcher. Um, you know, if we're going old school, Andy Griffith, does Andy Griffith play down under? Not really, no, but I, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't think it did, but uh, <laughs> so, if I, if I, so if I got to make it appropriate, I'm a huge Wiggles fan. You a Wiggles fan? <laughs> of course. One, two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man, a lot of they're running. They're running wild when I was a kid, and they're still going now. They're uh, they're they're killing it. Uh, uh, Jeff, next one, favorite film. See, and that's just, you have to go into, you know, if, if we're doing comedy, Tommy Boy and Dumb and Dumber and, you know, I mean, going way back, you, you can go to, uh, gosh, I, there, there's so many. Um, Shawshank Redemption is, if we're going to take a look more of a serious turn, the, the writing in that is really, really, the acting's great. I'm a huge Morgan Freeman fan. Uh, and, and all the supporting actors uh, in that, well, obviously Tim Robbins, the lead, but that that's a really, really good story that, um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of good films out there. So for me to pick one, it's tough. Yeah, no, we get Shawshank Redemption a lot on the show. And, uh, I always wish I could see it again for the first time because, when he finally was free, I was, it was raining. Yeah, it was raining down my face as well. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> well, my favorite is when you see Morgan on the beach at the very end. Yeah, it, that got me as well. It's a really feel good moment. But, but you had to really get invested in the story and understand that character and, and everything about it. Yeah, good, good story. Absolutely. Not many left to go here, Jeff. Uh, favorite musical artist or band? Oh, Lord. You're really going to get me down a rabbit hole because you'd have to pick a, a genre. But, I mean, I'm a Toby Keith fan. Um, I, I go way back. If you go into Elton John, um, uh, you know, look, at the very Garth Brooks is, is his entertainment aspect. He's got hundreds of hits, but garth live is a whole nother level about performing and obviously the industry that i'm in and i'm a promoter and seeing not only the records that he's set but sort of taken away on 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 how he has arrived at at that staying power the massive amount of tickets that is is mind-boggling bog, just uh, you know i'm a beatles fan obviously i'm a stones fan i'm a queen fan um queen at live aid that 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 10 or 15 minute segment I can't, I can, I can't really tell you how many times I've watched bits and pieces, but if you sit down and watch it in its entirety and sort of look at that from a different perspective, that's candidly an art of tearing the house down. You, you just, you, you have to watch that in amazement and go, okay. My man knew what he was doing. He, he stayed by command. That's a gift. That's a that's a real gift. And look, they had played stadiums the, the couple of years before, so he knew how to work a stadium crowd. But the, the timing and being on a stage with mega artists before him and after him, and and just the it's it's really something that if if you're a performer, I don't care if you're an actor, actress, whatever it may be. Watching him command what he did is is a piece of work. Absolutely. I get goosebumps every time I, I watch it. Uh, moving away from the arts now, Jeff, favorite food? Oh, I'm a sushi guy or a steak guy. <laughs> Very nice. Good answers. Do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, Outback Steakhouse on the road. And how ironic <laughs> is that that I'm uh, you folks down under laugh at that. But uh, they got good steaks and great service. Uh, anyway, uh, but I, I tell you what, I love to find a local, highly uh, 
regarded sushi place, those unique sushi places on the road. Obviously you have to be in the, you know, you can't go to Kansas or you can't go, uh, you, you can't go to the wrong city and get great sushi. But if you're on the coast, uh, and there's other places in between that they can get the, the fish in there, but, um, I'm a big sushi guy. Excellent. Excellent. Only a few more to go here. Jeff Jarrett's thirsty. Does Jeff Jarrett have a favorite beverage that he likes to drink? You know, what is it that you, you will go to when you're thirsty? Unsweet iced tea. I know that's his drab, but that is my, that is my go-to drink. <laughs> I was having some earlier today. I've got no problem with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, second last one, Jeff. Favorite female body part? You see a good-looking lady. Where do the eyes go to first? What is what is your weak spot? Shame on you. I'm married and I have four daughters. Next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some uh, people say the eyes. Some people say you know the brain. It's... But but again, <laughs> gonna my opinion is going to come out, and then that's going to give four other ladies. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. The right answer. What did I say? <laughs> Ears, hair, other body parts. I, I, it's a lose-lose. You obviously <laughs> are not married and don't have daughters. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and Jeff, the last one here today. I, you haven't said one swear word on the show. I don't expect you to say one at all at this point, but do you have a favorite curse word? Slap nut. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I don't. I, I don't. You know, um, Growing up in locker rooms and dressing rooms, I've heard it all, seen a lot that I'd rather not, but no, I, I, I hear you. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cool little question you asked, though, but uh, slap nut. That's my favorite. Oh, that, that's a fine answer, my friend. Uh, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today for our 100th episode. It really means a lot to me to be able to talk to somebody that, you know, I watched when I was a kid. I watched when I was a teenager. I watched in my 20s. Massive fan of you and everything you've accomplished in the wrestling business. And I want you to know, I live in the most isolated city in the world here, Perth, Western Australia. you got a legion of fans over here. All of my friends are so excited to know that I got the chance to talk to you. So I just want to let you know that we all, from here, down under in Perth, Western Australia, appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate it. As you know, uh, all my socials are uh, at Real Jeff Jarrett or the, the My World podcast is at My World Pod. So drops every Tuesday here in the States. Uh, so that would be uh, every late Tuesday because it's at, uh, wait, wow, it's at five here. So that's got to be early, early Wednesday morning. But when you wake up on Wednesday, you can hear the new pod every Wednesday. So I appreciate your support. Appreciate you having me on and congrats on your 100th anniversary. Thank you, my friend. I uh, really appreciate your time, Jeff. And all those things that Jeff just talked about, find it in the description there on our YouTube. Uh, so again, Jeff, thank you. Thanks. Have a great day, my man. You too, my friend. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host, California, with my new friend, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.